0: and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Colossians 1, 15 through 16. It tells us this: Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. That's strong. It's confusing, it's mysterious, but nonetheless, it's the truth. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. It goes on to say he existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. God is the author of all of our stories. Amen. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in an unseen world. Then at the end, it says, everything was created through him and for him. So if you're in this room this morning, I want you to understand that you are created through Jesus and for Jesus. That's why you got breath in your lungs. That's why you're here. And it's why God is constantly trying to reveal himself to you. Now, this idea to us that Jesus is God. And that everything was created through him and created for him, Uh, you know, that everything was created through Jesus and for Jesus is nothing short of mysterious, right? The fact that there was this man who came to earth who was man, but yet he was God, yet the father existed in heaven and he existed in heaven before then entered the earth through a, a Virgin Mary. It's like, what the heck? This is the craziest story I've ever heard, you know? And not only is the person of Jesus mysterious, but I think 2,000 years removed, as we reflect on who Jesus is and who he is to so many, it's almost as if Jesus becomes mystical, right? I remember when I was a kid, still don't know if it's true or not, if there's any kids in the room, but I was told Santa Claus wasn't real. And you guys know the old expression that hurt people hurt people, you know, it's, I was wounded by this. So, the first thing I do or think to do is go to my little sister, and if my Christmas is gonna be ruined, her Christmas is gonna be ruined. <laughs> because hurt people hurt people. So I said, Jacqueline, I'm not gonna believe this. Someone told me that Santa isn't real. She's like, Are you serious? <laughs> well, Santa's not real. Then Jesus isn't real either, and I'm like, oh no! I'm like, whoa! Wait a minute! That was not the plan. I just wanted to hurt you, not have you lose your salvation here. Okay? This is not the plan. I I got mom. Jacqueline said Jesus isn't real, and it's all my fault. My mom comes sprinting down the hallway. She drop kicks my little sister. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But we got her straightened. My mom didn't drop kick my little sister. That was a joke. We got to straighten out, but I I tell that story to illustrate this point In, in the magnitude of who Jesus is considered to be. We often forget that even historical documents prove Jesus was a real person who actually existed and walked on the earth. There are secular, not not from Christian writers, not not from the disciples, there are secular historical documents, non-Christian secular historical documents written in the first century that say there was a man they called Christ who was crucified. This is in the history books. The question for us, church, is not did Jesus exist? Jesus existed. We have historical evidence and proof that a man named Christ walked the earth and was crucified. The question is not, did Jesus Jesus exist? The question is, who is Jesus? Who is he? And the answer to that question is Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Christ revealed himself to humanity as the Messiah and the Savior of the world through an event. And leading up to this point, You know, as we we peer back 2,000 years ago, right, right before the cross, leading up to the cross, Jesus is teaching people about the kingdom of heaven. He's telling them that the father, his father being God, sent him. And he's also criticizing the religious leaders of the day because they have it wrong. Jesus not only reprimanded the religious leaders for holding people to these impossible standards, these religious leaders who are putting this burden on this, these works burdens on people to receive salvation. But Jesus also proclaims to be God himself. We see it in John 12. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me there. John 12, verse 44, this is Jesus talking. It says, Jesus shouted to the crowds. If you trust me, you're trusting not only me, but also in God who sent me. For when you see me, You are seeing the one who sent me. This is with clarity, very bluntly. Jesus is saying, when you look at me, you look at God. When you see me, you see God. When you interact with me, you're interacting with God. And he sent me. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey, for I have come to save the world and not to judge it. But all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken. I don't speak on my own authority. The father who sent me has commanded me to say and how to say it, what to say and how to say it. And I know his commands lead to eternal life. So I say whatever the father tells me to say. The religious leaders are threatened because Jesus is not only confronting their corruption in the church, which is making the religious leaders wealthy, which is giving them a nice, comfortable life, a good quality of life. And Jesus is putting that in jeopardy. He's stealing their influence though as well. People are starting to follow this man in the masses and and, and he's disrupting all that's taking place in this time. So as the religious leaders reflect on how how are they gonna deal with this issue of Jesus? They they can't explain away the miracles. There's this this problem in the man named Jesus and they say, "We, we just have to get rid of him. And then that'll fix our problems. We can go back to things as normal. So the high priest charges Jesus with blasphemy because Jesus is claiming to be God, the son of God. But because the Jews at the time, they didn't allow for capital punishment. They actually, instead, they bring Jesus uh, to the Roman government because they want him to be put to death for his crimes. So this is where Pilate enters the story. If you're familiar with, with the Easter story in Pilate, uh, eventually uh, what almost seems like against his own will and you know, uh, even against the will of his wife, he, he still decides to have Jesus uh, die a Roman death, which was the most brutal, most torturous. Uh, this, this type of death was even uh, you know illegal in, in, in other parts. And so Jesus is flogged with a lead tip whip A lot of times that would kill people before they even got to the cross. But then he's nailed to a cross and he's killed. Shortly after Jesus is killed, there's a man named Joseph who followed Jesus. He was a disciple of Jesus. And he asked for the body of Jesus. He's a wealthy man. He he owns land. He has a tomb that's unused. And he he asked permission to take Jesus' body and puts him in the tomb. So this man named Joseph takes the body of Jesus, puts him in the tomb, closes the tomb, um, so that, that's kind of the intro, but this is where, where the story gets good. We're going to turn to Matthew 27 and, and I want to read this together. So this is after Joseph has, has put him in the grave, it says this, the next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests and the Pharisees who are the religious leaders of the time, the guys I just told you about, they went to see Pilate and they told him Sir, we remember what that deceiver once said while he was still alive. They're talking about Jesus. They're like, hey, we remember what Jesus said. He said, after three days, I'll rise from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and telling everyone that he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were before So what they want to do is they want to solidify the situation to make sure no one can, you know, this story of him coming back from the dead and he's going to rise again and his his body will be raised. We're going to make sure that doesn't happen. So if something like that were to happen, I mean, it's going to take divine intervention. It's going to take a miracle. But how many know impossible situations? That's where God works best sometimes. Amen. I love it. So Pilate said, all right, Take guards and secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb and they posted guards in it. But when God wants to move, nothing can stop God from accomplishing what he wants to accomplish. Let's continue. Let's turn to the next chapter here, Matthew 28. Nobody turned, so I'm just assuming it's uh, right under what you were just reading. Matthew 28 says, early on Sunday morning, As the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the tomb, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. And the guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman, don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified but he isn't here. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead, just as he said he would happen. Church, this is, this is the Easter story, man. And this right here is the greatest love story ever told, that God so loved the world, he sent his only son to die, that whosoever shall believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. You wanna talk about my story. This is the greatest story ever told. God revealed himself to humanity and expressed his love for us through the person of Jesus and through the event of the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. We see that. God revealed his love. But I think there's a temptation in this. I think a lot of times we peer back at this event that happened 2,000 years ago and there's this temptation to believe or to just accept that God revealed himself to humanity and it stopped at the empty grave. But let's not fail to recognize that the grave is empty, which means he is not in there. Let's not fail to recognize that an empty grave tells us a greater story. An empty grave tells us that Jesus is not dead. He is alive, he is active, and he is still revealed revealing himself to humanity today. This is why when Jesus sat down with his disciples, he he was giving them clues. Hey, I'm going to have to go away. But I want you to know when you get sad, when when you're hurting, when you're depressed, when you miss me, I want you to know it's actually better that I go away because if I do, then you're going to receive the Advocate. You're going to receive the gift, the promised Holy Spirit. It's better that I go away because if I do, then you'll receive the advocate. You'll receive the helper. What Jesus was saying is I'm going to go die. I'm going to resurrect from the dead. We know that after Jesus resurrected from the grave, he walked around on earth for another 40 days, interacted with up to about 400 people after rising from the dead. And then he ascends right in front of his disciples. He ascends back up to heaven. And then in Acts 2, we see him pour out his Holy Spirit. And what we find that the person of God is, is no longer personified in this person, Jesus, but instead, Jesus is now dwelling within our hearts through the Holy Spirit at work within us. Amen. He filled us with himself so that Christ could now dwell in our hearts. I say all that to say this, that the, the reason people like Chandler and the reason people like Jeff have confidence that Jesus is, is the visible image of the invisible God who, who loved creation so much he died for the sins of humanity is not only because God through Jesus revealed his love for us through the event of the cross and the resurrection, but also because God is still revealing himself through the power of the Holy Spirit through his creation. Remember that verse in Romans? So we, we can clearly see his invisible qualities in everything. That's why in, in, in Wyatt, who's obliged for the ride, yeah, he, he, he was, God revealed himself to Jeff. That's why through Chandler in, a, in an alley, God revealed himself. God, God sustained Chandler in a moment, right? His invisible qualities are seen through all his creation. And the truth is Jesus still desires relationship with us. Even though he's no longer in, in human form here on earth, the, the book of Revelation, it tells us in chapter 3, verse 20, look, I, I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and we'll share a meal together and be friends. God, God it wants to reveal himself to us. His word tells us he's constantly trying to reveal himself through all creation. Revelation tells us that he's knocking on the door of our heart. Will you let him in? There's a man named Paul in the New Testament. And, you know, a lot of times we hear these stories and these crazy transformation stories. And, you know, it's like the story you all watch and you're like, I wish like God did that in me, you know, to me. Paul has one of those stories. he's he's, he's headed to this place called Damascus with intentions of persecuting Christians. And Jesus himself, this is after Jesus has died, resurrected. Jesus himself reveals Paul, uh, reveals himself to Paul, speaks to Paul. And he asks, why are you persecuting me? Paul's blinded. He still goes to Damascus. God told him, a- go, a man will pray for you. This man named um, Ananias prays for Paul. His scales fall off his eyes. And all of a sudden, he's the greatest missionary the earth ever knew. And he literally changed the course of history. There, ha- I don't know if there's been a more effective ministry on earth outside of Jesus, right? This this is Paul's transformation story. Um, And I think those stories are incredible and God still moves in powerful ways and some people still have that experience and that's still your story. But I feel like there's a lot of us who our story is a lot more like Lydia's. It's a lot more like Lydia's. Would you turn with me to Acts 16? I wanna share Lydia's story with you. So Paul, the greatest missionary ever, his life's been totally transformed. He's got sons in the faith, people he's doing ministry with, bringing the gospel everywhere he goes. It says this, this is where we are. It says, that night Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. So we see Paul and this, this group of people get called to Macedonia uh, th- through a vision that the Lord gives them. So, so they take off to Macedonia to, to go do the Lord's work. Verse 11, it says, We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight to the islands of Samothrace. and the next day we landed at Neapolis. From there we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia, in a Roman colony. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank when we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. So they go off, you know, into the woods by this little creek. They see a, a little group of women and they start to share the gospel with these women here. They start to share the story that Christ has made us new, that he resurrected from the grave, right? It says this. Verse 14, one of them was Lydia from Thyatira. She was a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshiped God, but, but check this out. It says, as she listened, as she listened, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying even as I was preparing this, even as, as we prayed over this, this moment, I really believe there's people in the room where God right now, he's opening your heart. And you need to accept what, what Pastor Mark is saying. i want to close with this verse found in Ephesians 2. Ben, you can come. Ephesians 2 says this, verse four. But God is so rich in mercy... And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ. And he seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point us to all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. And then in verse eight, it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. God saved you by his grace when you believed. There's power in belief. There's salvation in our belief of what Jesus has done. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.